0: I wanted to talk about one of the songs we sang. We sang an amazing song. Thank you, Jordan. Um, I don't know where he is now. He's somewhere out there. Um, Jordan played a song called There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And yeah, exactly. It is an excellent song. And I wanted to give you a little background of the author of that song. It's actually a sister song to the song Amazing Grace. Now, Amazing Grace was written by the pastor John Newton, who is very well known, was an amazing hymn writer. And what John Newton did was he was discipling a man who suffered from extreme depression. He had tried to commit suicide about four times throughout his life, I believe. It might have been three to four times. Every ten years, this person was so, so despairing of life that he tried to just give up and quit. He had a horrible childhood. His mother passed away very young. His father just sent him off to boarding schools. Things did not go well for this man. His name was William Cooper, and at around, I think he was about 30-ish, 40-ish, he started being discipled by John Newton, and John knew that William Cooper was an excellent poet. He wrote the most beautiful poetry, and so his way of talking And spending time with William was to say, hey, you know, we have all this time together. Let's write a hymnal for our church. Not, hey, let's exchange some poems. Not, hey, you know, let's just talk about the Bible. He said, let's write a whole hymnal for our church. So between the two of them, I believe they ended up writing somewhere between 175 and 300 hymns. Just writing one hymn after the other. And it's called the the only hymnal and it's full of these amazing beautiful hymns and there is a fountain filled with blood is actually one of them and so every time i hear that song and start to think it start to sing it the first thing that comes to my mind was this was written by a man who despaired of life constantly this was written by a man who had suffered the worst atrocities in his life he lost so many things he had Just terrible things to happen, and it had just an unbearably difficult life. One example, his crush growing up was his cousin. He was in love with his cousin, and good news, it didn't turn out. So he didn't end up marrying his cousin. But so he just had this horrible life. And when he meets John Newton, he writes this beautiful hymn that does one thing. point to Christ. Everything in that hymn is about forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. It's not like, hey, I'm going to fake trying to be happy-go-lucky. It's not, hey, I'm going to write something that's meant to cheer me up. He writes a hymn that points himself and points the whole church to Jesus. And so every time I hear that hymn, I think, here is a hymn that was written to call to the darkest place, to call to people who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, as William Cooper did, and call them out of that darkness into life. Another question you might ask is, why in the world did you tell us that? Well, the reason is so you would know. I'm telling you that so that you know, because some of you might be benefited, that you might benefit from that. You know, that, that's a question that we ask. Why are you telling us this? It starts probably around, let's say, third grade in school. Teachers all of a sudden start getting the question, why, are you, why do we have to know this? Why, why are you telling us this? And then it evolves in college and high school to the question that I think every teacher dreads, which is, will this be on the exam? Not, why are you telling us this? It's, I care so little about everything that you're teaching me I'm going to ask you if it's going to be on the exam because that's the only way it'll matter. I'm writing it down, but if it doesn't, it's not on the exam, I'll just erase it because I need the room in my notebook. And so that question comes up over and over. We just, there's so many things in this life. We learn about so many things. We hear so many things. We just have to ask, you know, how, how important is this? And that's the question that comes up with First John, with the very end of First John. Because John has told us all this stuff. And there's a lot going on. And so, the question we might ask is, is this going to be on the exam? Does this, does this matter? Is this important? A wise man told me this Wednesday, goes by the name of Dave Patrick, told me this Wednesday that Jesus doesn't mince words. He doesn't just throw away words. He doesn't just say things for the sake of saying saying them. That everything that he said was important. And what Dave said inspired me as I was looking at this text, and it caused me to see that John wrote everything with importance behind it. Everything that he had written here mattered. Just as his Savior said everything and was clear that it all mattered, John, too, tells us everything and makes it matter. So, what are we supposed to do? What is this text going to be about that we are turning to? Well, one thing I want to explain is that even though it all matters, even though you need to know this, it's hard to remember. Just think back to your your classes. It's hard to remember everything you learned. Do you remember everything about the Civil War? Do you remember everything about the the government policies of ancient Egypt? Do you remember everything about trigonometry or calculus or... You know, just algebra. Do you remember those things? Of course not. You can't. And that's why when you take classes in college and in high school, you get these beautiful things called crib sheets. Now, a crib sheet, you all have a note card. A crib sheet is a little, we got an example up here. Here Here's a picture of a crib sheet. It's hard to read because it's written nearly illegibly. When I was in college, I took this class, um, Math 221. It was a calculus-slash-analytical geometry class. And every exam, we were given a sheet, our review sheet, and said, here is all the stuff you need to know. You get to bring a 3 by 5 card to the exam. You can write everything you want on it. You can use it to assist you, write whatever you want, and you can bring that with you into the exam. It was actually an ingenious, it's an ingenious way of teachers, of of teachers taking a method for students to actually learn, to write down and remember things even better. And the goal with them is to squeeze as much as you can. So for me, I developed a method of writing on little rice, pieces of rice. I worked, I followed, I looked up those monks on the internet that write on grains of rice, and so I studied them before setting up, and so then I proceeded to learn to write as tiny as possible. And the crib sheets become valuable. They're the only thing you have. They're the only thing that you enter into that exam with other than the knowledge that's in your brain. And they are there as your key, as your help to get you through. Now, if you're in a math class and you don't get to use crib sheets yet, I apologize. Look forward to the future. Just like we're looking forward to heaven. In the future, in college, they will possibly be provided. But in our text today, John is giving us a crib sheet. He is giving us seven things for us to know. Seven points that he has made clear over and over throughout the text, throughout all of 1 John, and he is summarizing here. You have these little three by five cards. If you want to remember what 1 John is all about, just write down these little seven points throughout, that come up throughout the sermon and will be at the end. So you'll have a little card that you can write down the seven points on, And carry with you as you go forward in life. But let's get to it. Let's go to the text. We are going to turn to 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 13. And we're just going to read through the whole text. And then I'm going to explain the seven things John wants us to remember after we've read his letter. It begins. I write these things To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This text is all about what we need to know. But before we get into it, let me just pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for this final text of 1 John. We praise you that you have given us the grace through your inspired word. And we just ask that as, as I preach and as you speak through me and bring, bring your word to bear on all of our hearts, that you would awaken us to your truth, that you would change us, that you would help us to see ways that we need to live for you Ways that we need to overcome sin. And ways that we need to transform and change our life in accordance with your word. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for John. Thank you for 1 John. And thank you for all that you've given us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. John's first point, his first simple point, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Point number one, you have eternal life you have eternal life just hear that john is starting with a purpose something that we have to know we have something not we're close to something not it's within your grasp not you're you're getting there not you're earning your way towards it you have it If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in him, you have it. It is yours. That is what assurance is. It is God saying to you, through all I have done, you now have this. It's yours. The reality that Christ is ours... And that we, we have possessed him through his purchase. John's making clear. You cannot lose that through a mistake. You cannot lose that through tripping up. You cannot lose that by just neglecting it. You have it. But he goes on. You don't just have something. What you have is eternal life. Eternal life. God has not made us better Through Jesus Christ. God has not made our life easier through Jesus Christ. God has not made our life safe. God has given us eternal life. Eternal life. Just think of it. In the beginning, after God had created everything, created man, put man on earth, we fall. The thing he takes away is the tree that would give life. Sin creates a separation between us and God, and what is taken from us is everlasting life. Now a new tree sprouts, the cross. Christ goes to that, pays the penalty, the debt of the sin that we had committed through Adam and Eve, and we regain that which we had lost, Him and eternal life that is what we have. That's what we possess. And in having that, everything else is gravy. If you separate eternal life and focus on other things in the Christian walk and say, this is what I have, you have nothing. Eternal life makes everything amazing. It, it, commends us to be on mission because we know that as we go out, this world isn't everything we have. We look forward to a greater world. And so we can take chances and make mistakes. We can We can do. So we have eternal life. Early in 1 John, in chapter 5, John says this. He says, this is the testimony, verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And eternal life bears us confidence. It gives us confidence. Confidence is just faith in something. It's faith in something stronger than us. And it gives us confidence to the fact that if Christ has died for us, if he is taking us home with us, then it means one very important thing. It's point two, that he hears us. He hears you. That's the second thing that John is trying to make clear. Jesus hears you, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. The Lord hears you. He hears you. I I communicate with a lot of people. Talk to a lot of people. I, I prefer text messaging. I used to call people and leave them voicemails when answering machines were still around, when voicemails still mattered. Nowadays, if you call a person and leave them a voicemail, they're usually not going to listen to it. I don't know how many of you—John's laughing. He knows what this is all about. In the business world, when I worked at, when I worked at Stone Dimensions, voicemails were just—they were worthless. It was just worthless to use voicemail because you'd call someone— leave them a detailed voicemail of like five minutes worth of information. Like, I need this, 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 and this. And then 20 minutes later, the person would call you back and say, hey, what do you need? Like, "Uh, did you listen to the voicemail? They would say, no. Who listens to voicemail anymore? And you would get frustrated because it's like, I gave you every, I told you everything. Why are you calling me now? You just had to listen to the message. So, Right now, I don't, li- I don't leave voicemails. I listen to voicemails. So if you leave me one, I do listen to it. Sometimes if I'll look at it and see if it's more than seven seconds long. That's usually the judgment point. Because if it's, if it's less than seven seconds, it just is, hey, give me a call back. That's really all the voicemail is at that point. So you just call the person. But if it's longer than seven seconds long, usually it is an actual voicemail. So I I don't leave voicemails usually because people just don't listen to them. And sometimes I feel like we pray like we're leaving a voicemail for God. Like, hey there, Jesus. Uh, just checking in. Uh, I was sitting here on the couch, and I, I, I just started worrying about a person. So could you get back to me? And um, maybe, maybe then we could, uh, we could work that out. All right, give me a jingle. Bye. I feel like that's how we pray sometimes. Like, it's just, it's very nonchalant. It's very much not, it's very much just like, you know, maybe God will hear this. Maybe he'll give it a listen. If he has time, he's only omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient. So, you know, uh, you know maybe he'll get to it when he figures out the fact that he created time and it doesn't really, he's not bound by it. And so, wh- why do we do that? Why do we pray like we're leaving a voicemail? And I think it's because we forget he's listening. That when we pray, he's actually listening to us. He's actually hearing us. And he's actually communicating to us through his scriptures and through the memory of his verses and just all the communion we have with him. So this week, after I read this text and felt super convicted about my voicemail prayers, I started pausing before I would pray and say, you know, God's listening to me right now. I need to pray as if he's listening. Because he hears me. And so my question for you is, do you? Do you pray as if God is listening to you? Do you pray for your, your pain, your suffering, your hurt, your healing? Do you pray for your neighbors, your friends, your, fel- your fellow church members, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your family? Do you pray for them as if God is listening? Because if you don't, you're not going to be praying for them as you should. If you don't, you're not praying with confidence. And this text is telling you, be confident about praying to him because the reality is he hears you. And it's, it's a beautiful thing that he hears you. John takes that point, the reality of him hearing us of point two, and takes it a step further. And he says, if you see sin, do what I just told you. Pray about it. In verses 5 In chapter 5, verse 16, he says this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Let me do that again because I said words weird. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. I think my Bible's messed up there. Okay. There's a lot happening there. So let me just start here. The full full force of the previous two verses about being confident in God and praying about the fact that praying in such a way that God hears us, we need to approach then our prayer when we see sin. Because sin requires prayer. Just think of it. We have life. Jesus is hearing us, listening to us, and, you know, we can even go a step further. Hebrews 7.25 says, He prays for us, that He lives to make intercession. So not only when you pray, does God hear you, God goes a step further and proceeds to pray for you. Jesus prays for us as well. So what do we do next? It should only follow that our response To discovered sin should be prayer. That when we see brothers and sisters in Christ sinning, we should pray. When we see our family members sinning, we should pray. When we experience sin in the surrounding world that we walk through and are on mission on, we should pray. It only makes sense. Turning to God for those I see in sin should be what we do. But what do we actually do? This is where you start to examine yourself, and you say, "Oh, when I see sin, I get offended, or angry, or upset." This week, this this was a very convicting text. This week on St. Patrick's Day, I did die. Such a wonderful day! Such a wonderful day celebrated so perfectly by our culture. Celebrating the um, St. Patrick going, to, going and giving the gospel to all these people, celebrated so effectively through alcohol and other things. Um, I was irritated It's a gentle word irritated by some neighbors of ours. We have a fun group of neighbors across the streets that have this habit on national holidays, or any holiday. Of sitting outside and putting a sign out that says, you honk, we drink. You honk, we drink. Which is, they did this on the 4th of July too. Which was, they they got a lot more honks. But this year they did it and it it was annoying. But I had my headphones in so it was more just annoying for Hannah. It was really annoying for the dog. The dog just loved the fact that there were cars driving past our house, blaring their horns for people. And I got to say, the first thing I thought of was, at what point do I take the dog outside with me and walk across the street and maybe intimidate them? How much longer do I wait before I call the cops? And Hannah, of course, brought up like, oh, I really hope they don't do this when we have the baby. Like, oh, man, what would I do then? I would be really mad. And my first inclination was to come up with all these plans. These plans that were probably bad plans, but they were the plans that I made. And then as later on, Hannah reminded me, as she so often does, maybe we should pray for them. Oh, oh, I just wrote about that. I'm working on the sermon, and I literally wrote... Pray for the sins I see, and my first response when I see sin is to think about ways to be vengeful towards them. All right. All right, let's pray for him. And then I had the audacity, I had the audacity to pray as if Jesus didn't hear me. So that was the next thing I did. So not only pray for him, don't pray for them in a slightly mocking manner. Because Christ doesn't like that. He does not like that at all repentantly pray, Lord, please do not let them get into any accidents. Lord, please change their hearts so that they celebrate St. Patrick's Day in a mild way with corned beef and cabbage and Reuben's, the beautiful way that God has given us to celebrate this day. You know what? Even just have wondering, honk if you love Jesus. All kinds of things they could be doing. I mean, there's just so many opportunities. But my flesh... Turns me away from that. There's a text I want to point you to as far as dealing with this. And I'm going to make it a little bit more personal. Um, not personal, because that was very personal. I'm going to make it more specific. James 5.20 talks about this type of prayer. But he says it very much in the confines of the church. And when we are struggling with a brother or sister in Christ, or when we specifically see a brother or sister in Christ who are sinning. James 5.20 says pray for them and bring them back. Seek them out. And so that's what God would have us do. When you see sin, pray. Pray for any sin you see. But if you see sin within the brethren, within the church, pray and pursue. Because there is a great reality that John goes, is, is saying as he finishes up 16 and goes into 17. It's that there is a difference between habitual sin and the flesh. This is verse, verses 17. It says, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. There's a difference between habitual sin and the flesh. Those are, those are two big words. Um, it's a clarification that John's making. He wants us to know, I've been telling you over and over and over, don't sin, but also don't claim not to have sin. Fight sin. He started off right off the bat in John chapter 1 talking about those things. But the discussion often revolves around well, I, I still have sin, sin's going on. What am I supposed to do? What is happening here? And he's just making a clarification that there is a difference. If your sin is habitual, it's a problem. If it's a sin that comes up, it's not going to lead to death, to eternal death, but it is still something you must fight. And that's the difference between the two. The, the first one that I, I'm going to describe is the flesh. This is what a Christian deals with. It is remaining sin. It's the sin we fight. And what the flesh is, the flesh is sin having its final clawing grasps at us as it is sinking into the pit that Christ has dug for it. Christ has killed sin. He has defeated sin. He has given sin its final mortal blow so that it is dying. And the flesh is just trying to do whatever it can as it falls to its death. It is the enemy we fight. It is the enemy we fight against. It is called sometimes the third member of the unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's our enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And the devil, it's not part of our nature. It's not who we are. We have been made new. It is not something we choose and prefer to Christ, but it's something that remains. And so, we fight it. But the one that leads to death is habitual sin. It's the sin that made us slaves. It's the sin that keeps us as slaves. The sin that bears only death. John reminded us we have eternal life. Here, he is clarifying that we who have eternal life do not have enslaving habitual sins that we prefer over Jesus. We don't. So he's calling us to fight them. Which brings us back to our previous point in praying for sin. It's where we start. We start within us. What sin must we be bringing to the Lord for life? What sin must we be examining in ourselves to say, Lord, help me to fight this? Help me to defeat it? Help me to overcome it? And is that sin in your life being approached like a master that, you know what, this sin has its reign? It gets to do what it wants. Or is it being approached like an enemy intruder? That you know what? You don't get to stay here. You don't get to stay here. You're not welcome. Thankfully, in the face of that sin, John gives us a reminder point five, and that's that God protects you. Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We're not going to go there, but just think about Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. It's a passage on the whole armor of God. In that passage, every piece of armor is described with a modifier. Breastplate, um, helmet. Uh, the breastplate of, the helmet of. There's always this one word that describes the object. And every single one of those descriptions refers to something that comes from God. They're all gifts from the Lord. You have strength, strength of the Lord and the strength of his might. Truth, the belt of truth. Righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Shoes fit with the gospel. Shield of faith. Salvation, the word of God, prayer. All specific gifts that describe how God protects us. How he gives us things, how he's given us life and given these means for protection. Nothing that we acquired by ourselves, but rather all gifts that we are learning to utilize. All things that we are understanding more about how they protect us. Not something that you're walking around and saying, oh, you know what, this breastplate of righteousness looks good, I'll put it on right now. It's on you through Jesus Christ. but You have to learn it. And you have to be reminded that God protects you from sin. And we are given them because of a simple truth, point six. You are not the world. Verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You do not equal the world. You have eternal life. You are the Lord. Do not, be dis- do not be surprised when you don't match it. Don't be surprised when it disagrees with you. Don't be surprised when it persecutes you or rejects you or hates you or turns its back on you. Don't be surprised when the, the presidential nominee or candidate starts looking more like the world than the righteous person you would want him to look like or her to look like. And I'm not going to judge who we are possibly behind. None of them are good. None of them are good. Anyways. <laughs> Don't be surprised when they do foolish things. Pray for them. And then John closes with that which matters most to him. And that makes all these work. Seven, know him through him. Know Christ through Christ 20 through 21 and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ he is the true God in eternal life little children keep yourselves from idols John's final point as he's leaving us to go into the lives that we are given his final point closes with two parts First, that we know the Son of God through the Son of God. And second, that we not let idols cloud our setting our eyes on Jesus. Perfect way to describe this is found in the day we're celebrating today. This is the day when we celebrate the triumphal entry, when Jesus steps into his future kingdom. He steps into Jerusalem. And there. The triumphal entry, excuse me, it's recorded in each gospel. It's found in Matthew 21, it's found in Mark 11, it's found in Luke 19, and it's found in John 12. Every text has a story about the triumphal entry. So important to show Jesus' progress. And I want us to close by looking at Luke 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 40. And I put it up there so you might be able to, you should be able to read along. You should be able to see it as I'm reading. just, Just take this in. Luke 19. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. In the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I just want you to note the two groups that were there. The first group had been with Christ. They had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave. They known him. They'd follow him. They'd followed him. They had exclaimed as he was entering into the city, Hosanna. It wasn't in this text, but it's in the other ones. They had exclaimed, Hosanna. Praise be to God. And they are seeing their Messiah King enter triumphantly into Jerusalem to destroy the sin that had so crushed them. Their eyes were fixed on Christ. There was a second group, the Pharisees. And they had followed Jesus a bit too. But usually they followed him in an attempt to trip him up, to discredit him, to show the world that, you know what, he's a liar. He isn't really from God. They did everything they could to get him killed, to stop him. They ended up succeeding. But they did not keep themselves from idols. They were not little children either, but they had tried to pursue the Lord in the way that they felt was in accordance with him. And though Jesus told them otherwise, they said, we think we have it figured out. They kept their idols. They gave in to them. They set their eyes and their hearts upon them. And they did not see Jesus and they did not worship him. They saw what they wanted to see. They saw that Jesus was doing things that weren't in accordance with the law and with what they held to be true. And so what, as we finish up with point seven, just remember, if you are getting to know Christ, get to know him through him. So John wants you to know. Don't use other means to try and define Jesus. Don't rely on random books that are written by people that don't know the scriptures to define Jesus. Don't base your understanding of Jesus based on somebody telling you something that they think they read at some point and now they're an expert. Base your knowledge of Jesus on the scriptures, on the word of God, and those that actually teach from them. And prepare for this week. This week is good. Friday. It's, it's the week of Easter. We are entering into this week. It's a great thing about the triumphal entry in Palm Sunday. It just works with the picture. We're walking into it. We're entering into it. And remember the seven things. Number one, you have eternal life. It was purchased through the cross. Number two, he hears you. Be confident. He hears you. So pray. Talk to him. Talk to him. Because he's on the other side of the line. Number three. Do you see sin? Pray. Don't judge. Don't get offended. Don't get angered. Turn to the Lord and pray for help. Help. This sin needs the solution that only you can give. To so turn to the one who can give. Four. Habitual sin does not equal the flesh. If you are sinning, but you trust in Christ, don't treat it as something that can't be overcome. Treat it as something you're meant to fight. Number five, God protects you. Run him. Turn to him. Choose him. Number six, remember, you're not the world. You are not the world. And number seven, know him through him. Turn to Christ. He who comes in the name of the Lord... Our Savior King who came gentle and riding on an adolescent child donkey, a colt. He who, if not, if not for us crying out to him, would have rocks crying out to him. Know him. And as you go out into the world, remember what John has told you. Seven simple things about who you are and how your life needs to proceed with Christ in it because guess what? Now you know. Now you know what you have and who you are. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that we know you. We thank you that we can know you, that you have Declared yourself mightily through your scriptures, and you give of your Holy Spirit for us to walk in you. We pray that as we encounter the things that John told us of, that we would remember our crib sheets, that we would pursue all this life with the things we know for the comfort and the strength that they give. We pray that we would rely on you. We pray that as we go forth into this week, into this world, that we would remember that which you said in the prayer that you taught us. That your kingdom must come, your will must be done on earth as it is in heaven. It has come and your will is being done. Please reveal it through our lives and as we prepare for Easter.